0: To the International Bus Podcast brought to you by WordP. This is your co host Tanya Falkner and
1: your co host Robert Rogie.
0: Today's episode is all about globalization. And for that, we invited a very special guest, namely Anna Schlegel. Anna started her career as a translator, and she's now the senior director of globalization and programs and information at SNET App. She is the recipient of 2017 Women Worth Watching in the STEM Award, and she also won the Language Industry Person of the Year in 2018. Anna is the co-founder and president of Women in Localization, the chair of Women in Technology at NetApp, and the author of the book, Truly Global. Thank you so much for joining us, Anna. Hello, happy to be here.
1: So you've got so many things going on in your biography. It's hard to know which one of those things we should talk about in the podcast. But we we decided to talk about globalization. Well, so I guess our first question, just to get kind of an overview, a truly global enterprise will feel local to each customer is is something that you wrote. And uh, I guess we're just wondering, how do you make sure that an enterprise feels local to each customer?
2: Well, you rally the whole corporation around uh, that goal. And you need to go really high up all the way to the CEO to get the buy-in because a localization team or a globalization team or an ANA is never gonna be able to achieve that. So you need a CEO level buy-in, every single executive vice president bought-in and C-level folks at the enterprise. And then they are gonna give the marching orders to their teams. And then the globalization team can coordinate all that work. But it takes a lot of focus, a lot of years, a lot of programs, a lot of coordination, and uh, it's doable. It doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you observe over a few years. And you build out over a few years as well. Even if the CEO is extremely global mindset, you still need the thousands of people underneath doing the right thing. And so sometimes you know it will break the minute you go down from the vp level to the senior director the director the program managers they might not have heard about this goal right so it all needs to be very well communicated and orchestrated
0: are there specific areas in a company that you would look at when globalizing or where do you get started usually
2: companies see what they see. So usually companies uh, and even smaller startups, they think that uh, by localizing the marketing website or the .com or the .net or the .org is how you go global. And so many, many companies start with the marketing and then they will follow with uh, sales, you know, sales tools or sales assets that the sales guys and ladies need to go to market. Other areas that are very, very important and very apparent right away are operations. So you won't be able to pass customs or do trade without certificates. And other areas is legal. You need the compliance. You need the legal agreements. So I would say legal operations, marketing, sales can be some of the first areas that a company needs to really quickly rally against around. Sorry, And then the battle is uphill from there. I think... There's a lot of question constantly for many, many, especially on the high-tech side, if products need to be localized, if the GUI interface, the documentation, the support around it, the classes around it, the professional services around it uh, need to be globalized.
1: Mm -hmm. So, you know, being in in the U.S. where a lot of people, especially like, Well, it's not the most multilingual country in the world, really, especially when it comes to, I guess, uh, white men. (laughs) Do you find that that you have a hard time getting that buy-in or that there's a certain resistance because people maybe just aren't that global in their mindset?
2: Yes. And it's a very general yes. There are a lot of people that are very globally savvy and aware, and I think... What happens to us here in the States is the market is so huge and we are number one in many, many respects. And so just selling in the U.S. alone, it's a huge achievement and endeavor. And so many products, people will try to sell them first into the U.S., and we'll build them just to be sold in the U.S. And so going global becomes an afterthought. And it's a decision for any vice president or product owner to get out of your own country. It doesn't mean the U.S. It could be Canada. It could be France. You know, France has plenty of products that have never left France, right? And so when a, a company decides to start exporting their products, then it becomes interesting if the product wasn't built properly. And I, and I don't think this is a U.S. only problem. Yes, there are countries, let's say Japan, that they know, and China. China is getting really amazing at this. They know that to export, they need to learn how to go global. And they're massive companies, uh, tech companies right now. They're getting really smart, and even if they're not allowed to build in the U.S., they are starting to open, you know, research centers in the U.S. And that's how they're getting in. And so we need to get really smart here out of the states that to go global. There are many other countries that know how to do that better. And I think your question of the white man, I don't know that it's white man or you know what it is, but yeah, we could do better. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, we have companies here that, uh, Google <laughs> that started here, Facebook that started here, Amazon that started here, massive global phenomena. but you know, you um, don't have hundreds of those companies. But the CEOs have very clear uh, goals on globalization and they've done really, really well.
1: Maybe they would do uh, better to like, do you think that promoting foreign, like promoting women, promoting minorities, promoting people from other countries to positions of power in some of these big companies, do you think that would help?
2: I hope so. Yeah, this is interesting because now you're touching two areas that I'm very passionate about, which is diversity and then globalization. I think, yeah, to be more diverse, you globalize. You have to to be able to reach to people that don't look like you. You have to think of who are those people. But these are multi-billion-dollar decisions right? I mean, and we're you and I are talking very much in general, but these are very serious businesses that don't want to risk, you know, going global just like that. You have to understand the market you're going into. And if you get into a particular market, who's going to drive that? You cannot just, certain companies can make those decisions just based on content and, you know, translating a website or doing user behavior. That's easy. But companies that are building massive infrastructures. You cannot just get into any country just like that. It's very different to globalize Facebook or to globalize, you know, a system that has a 1 billion lines of code. So we can't really talk in in those general terms. You can (laughs) experiment with websites going global everywhere and then reaching larger diversity very quickly, right? I mean, we've all seen the stats of how fast it took, you know, to take a hardware product into market or to take a a website into market is is night and day
0: do you think that comparing the us to a european country that it's easier for like let's say spain or france to globalize just because in general europeans tend to speak more languages i mean globalization is not all about languages. But just because the market itself, if you want to stay within, let's say, Spain, it's just a lot smaller and you have to start thinking about globalization early on. So, so do you, think
2: it's, you know, I think that the way you're positioning it, it's seen from a language perspective. But globalization is very, very complicated. And when you look at Spain today, I don't think they know how to go global like the States knows how to go global. And again, going global means you're opening offices elsewhere, you have the right people there, you have the right pricing, the right strategy, the right support, the right channel position. And the states knows how to do that really, really well. The part that I think it's difficult for the states is the language piece. And those pieces, Europeans know how to do better. Mm -hmm. But the language piece, and it took me many years to say this, it's not all of it. It's a small part of it. If you can place an incredible product into Japan that has the right licenses, the right certificates, the right training, even if it's in English, it's going to sell. Mm -hmm. Now, if you then localize it into Japanese, then you're going to open up to a larger set of customers, But it doesn't mean that a product that's not localized, it's not going to sell into a particular market. It will sell. But the localization, the language piece will make it that much better. It's better customer experience. It will let you go into public sectors. It's going to let you sell into ministries and departments and airports and, you know, all kinds of other places that you wouldn't have been able to reach. So, yes, Europeans understand language much, much better. I mean, kids in Europe already grow up, you know, learning English and learning French, plus their languages in their countries, right? Look at the Dutch kids or German kids or... I was recently in Catalonia. My nieces take some classes in English. They speak Spanish, they speak Catalan, they speak French, you know, and they've grown up like this. Uh, Mm -hmm. But here in the States, my kids grew up here in the States. They obviously speak languages because at home we speak four languages, but not because they learned that at school. It's it's a struggle for your uh, American kids to—and again, I'm generalizing. OK, if you're in public in a public school, they learn one language maybe when they're in high school or middle school. They can start a few a couple of years. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's different. You're right. Language is different. But getting a product into market is not all about language.
0: I like that explanation of globalization and that you say it's that the language piece is just a small part of it. so
2: I It's a that's, very that's really
0: important
2: good. part of it. I, don't misunderstand me. You know, there's enough research that says that if a customer can't read the product, they will simply don't even buy it, right? It's a very important part of it. But I talk enough with language providers that they think that because a product wasn't localized, it will never sell. And my research says otherwise, because we see it every day. Mm-hmm
1: do you think it would be interesting to or do people talk about it on your scene out there about like the some of the struggles that Uber has had going global where they entered markets and and then and then got kicked out of those markets
2: yeah yes of course of course but again Only very experienced globalization experts so at the director or VP level seem to get these concepts because otherwise people keep talking about, well, they weren't translating. And again, we need to get out of this translation mentality or language mentality, but this is why companies need chief strategy officers and people that really understand and study the market. You cannot just put Uber everywhere, right, because... Um, uber made the mistake but then they learned and then they you know cleaned up and they're looking at other avenues of doing this and uber now has a, a globalization team where five years ago they didn't right and so yeah they will smart up and they're all over this
0: i think tapping into this we want to talk about an article that you've recently published, which is about geo-alignment. Could you just briefly like, give our listeners an overview of what, what geo-alignment is? Sure. So
2: geo stands for geography and alignment means a reaching agreement. So when a company is based out of a headquarters, it can be Germany, it can be Japan, it can be China, it can be the States. It doesn't matter where the headquarters is. Usually the headquarters is the most important building or geography or country for that company. Let's say if you're Nokia, right? Or if you're Facebook, Facebook, the headquarters, is in the States. If you're Airbus, they're in Washington. If you're, you know, France Telecom, you're probably somewhere around Paris. I'm not quite sure where their their headquarters is. So at headquarters, usually you have the most senior people sit there. The, The largest number of senior people sit at a headquarters. And what that means is they dictate and they... Take the company to a special direction with a mission and goals and stuff like that. And they're the most senior executives. Now, the most senior executives will say what products, what countries, what projects the company is going to invest in. And so that happens out of headquarters. And just once this is clear, the lower layer of Directors or senior directors need to see this through. They need to see these projects and these programs started. And so there's a lot of activity that happens out of headquarters and projects are just going to start shooting off to the right, to the left, into the other countries where this company is at. For example, let's look at VMware. So VMware is headquartered in uh, Palo Alto in the United States, in California. They are in more than 100 countries. They have offices everywhere. They have offices in Italy. They have offices in Japan. They have offices in Korea. And so the people in those offices are listening to what's coming from headquarters. And remember, headquarters just decided that these programs and these products, and this is the investment we're going to do as a company. Many, many times, the offices are very small. There are sales offices. So maybe in Portugal, they have five people. There are 10 people or 20 people. Now, how are these 20 people from Portugal going to understand The 20 million things that headquarters is deciding, right? These are multi-billion dollar companies where most of the decisions are happening at the headquarters. So how is the marketing team of two or three people in Spain or in Sweden going to understand what do they need to do? So this is a big dilemma between headquarters and all these countries. What are they going to decide to focus on? Because if Sweden decides to focus on product A and Italy is deciding on product D and, you know, Japan is deciding on product J and Korea is on product C, and then the numbers that the headquarters is hoping for might not become a reality. So headquarters has some goals to make certain millions of dollars based on product. So geo-alignment is this notion that everybody needs to understand what headquarters wants and then how are each one of the geographies going to make that dream come true Mm -hmm. and what countries can make it come true. And some countries contribute very, very little. And some countries like Japan or China or Germany or the U.K., There are the larger enterprise countries, can make that dream come true almost on their own. Many, many times you look at, you know, 80% of the revenue outside of the United States comes from four or five countries. So Mm -hmm. how is Italy going to contribute? Maybe a little bit, but not as much as Germany, right? And so this is geo-alignment, is understanding all these pieces and then how are each one of these countries going to contribute to the general number? Because it's all about numbers.
1: And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you advocate for creating a geo-alignment team, right, within the enterprise? Yes.
2: Yeah. So geo-alignment team are the people that will explain to Portugal and Italy and Belgium and Sweden and Norway and Denmark. This is what headquarters is saying this year. And they chew it up for them. They brief it really nicely. And they say, there's these 10 things that we really need to nail. And then they will say, you, Italy, how are you going to support this? And so there's this alignment. And there's not a misalignment. There's a, a good back and forth between the headquarters and how Italy can support the headquarters or how yeah. Turkey can support the headquarters or how, how many countries the companies, uh, they need to be supporting these executives.
0: The alignment team, different from the globalization team, is it that the globalization team comes first? Or how would you differentiate? So the globalization team is
2: everybody. The globalization team are the internationalization engineers, the localization project managers, the translators, the strategies, the metrics, the communication managers. They're all part of the globalization team. And then inside of the globalization team, there's many, many different roles. So we have people that are geoliners, there are people that are strategies, there are people that are just looking at product metrics, there are the localization vendor managers, and so they all form the globalization team. Okay.
1: And with the geoalignment team specifically, does it ever happen, I guess, that uh, the people in the countries are providing important feedback for the headquarters? Like, is it really a two-way street?
2: That's the point. Yes, yes, yes. That's the point. That is the point. The point is, and once I create a visual of a pitcher. So if you understand baseball a little bit, there's a pitcher and then there's a catcher. And basically, the pitcher was somebody in the United States just throwing 20 million baseballs at a catcher who could not keep up. There was like 50 balls going at this person. And so the catcher then tells the pitcher, you have to stop giving me all these things, give me one or two, and then I'll tell you how I want this to work in my country. And so these phone calls, the geo-alignment phone calls need to happen every week. And it's just specific people saying, we're missing this, this is not going to work for us. And it can be anything. It can be, for example, the brand marketing team at the headquarters has a campaign with an incredible tagline that's never gonna work in Korea. And so the Korean team needs to get back to the branding team and say, guess what? This is very difficult to translate in Korean. Could we create our own tagline? And so there's this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It creates this really tight connection between the headquarters and the country. And some people think that this slows things down, but I don't agree. I think this actually is what makes products work really well in a country.
1: Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here, and we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects, but we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about Translator. WordBee Translator is the translation management system developed by WordBee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system so you can manage projects, it also has linguistic tools, it has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years so it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordBee, I also used WordBee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like, for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any, any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. It ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Wurby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. So is it also the case sometimes that certain countries produce their own marketing materials and are more capable of producing all that stuff than others? Like, r- rather yeah, than like translating... it, it translate-
2: happens. It happens all mm-hmm. the time. I mean, I've seen enough companies where... This is why I created this concept of dual alignment. And this is a decision of the CMO, for example, or the content officer of the company. They can decide, they can let the countries loose and do whatever the heck they want, or they can decide that the headquarters is going to dictate the themes for that quarter or that year. So this is a company decision. And it can be also, and I've seen it done where the company will say, look, this year, we're going to get out five launches and five campaigns, and three are going to be driven by headquarters, and two, you can do on your own. And then the countries love it. They create, you know, their own themes. But obviously, the overall umbrella there is to sell particular products. So everybody needs to agree on what are the five products you're going to sell this year.
1: hmm so like looking at your geo alignment checklist, which is in the in this article that you recently posted, I think the second point says well prepared calls with just the right number of participants. So I guess I'm wondering like what is the right number of participants for one of these calls between a country and the and the HQ
2: So the people in these phone calls tend to be very senior. So you would have, for example, uh, somebody from the globalization team that's going to prepare the phone call with a proper agenda. And in this session, we're going to talk about these two products that headquarters wants you to launch. I don't know. So there's usually a, a senior person from the globalization team. These phone calls are one for Asia, one for Europe, one for Africa, one for whatever regions you decide. It could be, you know, it depends on how many phone calls you want to have. And then on the other end, you have the people from those countries. So you're going to have the head of marketing, maybe you have the head of product. And that's it. You know, and you have some people taking notes and some people taking action items. And then on the next phone call, you know, action items and all those things should have been addressed by them. So this is very dynamic, very fast. It's taken very seriously. It's like running any other project is, did the country marketing manager approve this? Is Are the agencies in country ready to publish this? Do you have a PR agency? Do you have the translations aligned? Do you have the sales guys understanding these decks? You know, do you have classes about this product? All of these pieces are checklists and checklists of everything that needs to be put in place for a product to be sold properly. And so you cannot have beginners on these phone calls. You need to have people that are very well connected inside of a company that will reach to support, that will reach to the head of channel, that will reach to the head of e-learning, that will reach to the marketing guys. And they need to be very well-versed in influencing skills and driving, 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 because you cannot get stuck with things like this. I mean, you're taking products to market is a serious business for these massive companies. This, I am talking about massive, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. That's geo alignment. I think you can also obviously do it in in a smaller scale.
0: How do you Like you say, you need you need very senior people on those calls and senior people involved in the whole process to not get slowed down. How do you get them? I don't want to say participate, but make sure they understand the importance of this and that this is where their position is needed.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and we've started I mean, we've started some of these phone calls and they they sometimes went nowhere. We got really good at explaining the why we're doing certain things. So we have shown where this was well done and the return that it gave. So if you can prove it once to say, look, there was this campaign with buying from the country, you will see. You will see how many downloads the files had or downloads the product had or if something was really well enacted. It's going to be night and day. And so... You can use metrics, you can use data, and people usually react really well with data. You say, this product was properly coordinated with marketing support, channel, look at downloads, the localization was ready, PR was ready, the support site was ready, the classes were ready, the demand gen was ready. That means you're coordinating a ton of people, but boy, the impact that that has, right, versus a product that was just posted on some website and good luck to whoever comes to download it. And so you can track A, B, you know, exercises to see what happened after a year, it's gonna be very clear. And so you explain this, you need to, uh, again, this is why this needs to be senior people that know how to explain these stories. And some companies understand this. I mean, I've been in enough companies that understand this really, really well. And they just have project managers. Maybe they don't call it geo-alignment, but they have project managers that are just going around the room saying, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? And they have every single department in the company in that room. And so again, this is however companies decide to organize themselves to go global that will make a huge, huge difference. Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, you, you mentioned these metrics and these KPIs and it's on your alignment checklist. You know, it says clear expectations of KPIs. But so I find it really interesting that the geo-alignment team also has KPIs in a way. And I'm wondering, like, would be the geo-alignment team's KPIs? So if, if I was a, an enterprise and I was thinking about creating a geo-alignment team, what would be my geo-alignment team KPIs?
2: Product downloads.
1: Product downloads.
2: Everything is about making money, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, a company, can choose to do this well organized or not. And the thing is that, unfortunately, corporations are very, very siloed inside. So, the marketing team will worry very, very much about marketing, and maybe they have some connections to the sales team or some connections to the channel team. But in my experience, they maybe are not so well connected to support or the training teams or to the legal teams or to the engineering teams or to professional services teams. What geo-alignment does is everything is coordinated at the same time. I lost my train of thought. What was your question again? Sorry.
1: Oh, what would be the KPIs for a geo-alignment yeah, team?
2: So, so it would be product download. The danger, I think, where I was going with all of this is that marketing will say, well, I want to know. And rightly so, because that's what they are paid to do is how many people downloaded a white paper or you can as a team, you can decide what you want to track because there is a customer journey, right? There's a buyer's journey that the company is putting together for the potential customer or the existing customer. So this geo-alignment team can decide to see, well, how many people responded to the demand generation kits, but ultimately the number one thing, KPI, is how many people downloaded the product.
0: You have another point on this list saying, agree on training to make programs successful at any pathway level. Would that be training... Or would the geo-alignment team train the local people or the local businesses?
2: Yeah, sorry. I'm not very clear on how I said that. So to me, training is, remember I said that the uh, headquarters has a lot of ideas and a lot of products and a lot of programs, and they just shoot those programs to the countries. And what I meant by training is, please slow down and explain to the head of marketing in Poland what this is about, you know, instead of just sending a deck or a PowerPoint, sending it over the fans. So slow down a little bit. And through the geo alignment phone calls, maybe the product manager needs to come to this phone call and explain what this product is so that the people in Poland or all these countries can hear, what is this new thing that this company is building? And they're given a chance through these geo-alignment phone calls to ask questions. How is this supposed to work? And through these questions, also the product manager can improve the product, right? It's your former question today of, can the countries give feedback to the product management?
1: So do you think that these conversations help improve uh, motivation of the staff that are in the offices abroad?
2: Yes, absolutely. Because then they feel that they're being heard and they're all part of seeing this product kick butt in the market, right? So yes, everybody's rallying after what the CEO wants. And usually CEOs have very clear ideas of where they want the company to go. The products, the goals, the transformation that they're driving, they're usually innovators, these CEOs. And so they, they're very focused on one, two, three, four, five things, no more. And so if these countries can help participate in that, it's huge. It's huge. They feel very proud. Yeah.
1: Maybe it's also an opportunity for the people in the headquarters to get to know some of these people so they can consider promoting them. To the headquarters because otherwise, when you think about it, you'd have these people in, in these foreign countries and they could reach the top of their position in their country, and then that would be it.
2: It's there happened, would... yeah. I've seen it happen where you know, ahead of Japan and up at headquarters, you know, driving a whole new division, or somebody in Singapore coming back and driving something here at headquarters. I've seen it multiple times. And I think that's very healthy. And the other way around, you know, people from headquarters go and sit for a while at a country. We need companies to do this, to understand each other. And this is very much the geo-alignment. If you don't put yourself in each other's shoes, it's very, very difficult. And I think this is the attempt of these geo-alignment phone calls, to get people to understand each other. And there was a concept once that we created a campaign from the globalization team that was called Put Your Field Sunglasses On so that you could see things from the field perspective. And to us, the field is, you know, a particular country like, you know, Germany or or Sweden or Italy.
0: We talked about these calls and they're really important but then also actually visiting those local businesses. Is that something that you suggest?
2: Yes, 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 yes. And many, many times executives go to these countries because of a particular deal, or they go because there is a partner summit, or there is, um, you know, a product summit. And I always suggest that they stay once they're done with you know, whatever it is that they were going to do in these countries, to spend two, three, four days sitting at one table in that office and just getting up and introducing themselves to people and say, what do you do? How can I help? What is it that we're not doing correctly? There's so many details that you learn once you're sitting in a country. I remember one time, Years ago, I was sitting in Japan and I was working for another company and I turned up to be sitting next to a a writer or no, sorry, it was a channel manager. And I said, well, what can we do better at headquarters? And he said to me, start labeling your files differently. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, look at all these technical publications, manuals look at the file names and it was like X, Z, Y, underscore, N L, you know? And I said, what is this? And he said, I don't know, you tell me, you know? And so, when I went back to headquarters, I spoke with the technical publications team and I said, would you mind naming the file the name of the product, right? Hmm. And so, these are very little examples, but because they started naming the files the name of the product, boy, things started going much faster, right? And so then, yeah, it's a lot of details that you learn once you're sitting in the country.
1: What about mm-hmm. uh, company culture? Like, is it an opportunity to, like, check up on the culture that is developing within a certain country in, inside the company?
2: Yes, I think, you know, companies go through culture in abs and flows and abs um, and flows, sorry, and... Uh, they, they have some really good years on culture and some tougher years on culture. And sometimes a country is going to step in and revive that culture of the, of the whole company. And countries do have their own culture. And country managers can make incredible, incredible cultures. And general managers of specific countries can create incredible cultures And so whoever you place on top of driving a particular country is very, very important because they can keep the employees completely pumped up and organized and aligned to the headquarters. And, you know, it's like a a trainer of a coach of a soccer team. You want everybody lined up.
1: How would you identify a bad culture? Like if a country had a cultural problem internally, how would you find it?
2: Well, you're going to start looking at attrition. People are going to start leaving. Yeah, so each country has averages of right. attrition of that indicates you know things are going well or wrong. It's the same inside of a team. You you can tell the amount of attrition you have indicates if you're a good leader, or a bad leader, or maybe you know the company's not doing so well, or other companies are poaching people. There's a lot of different factors. To look at this, but yeah, you, typically executives will look at attrition numbers as one of the indicators. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think we could go on for a while, but we're sort of running out of time. Yep. So, except if you have any last thoughts, I think we're wrapping this up. No,
2: I I think, thank you. Thanks for having me. I mean, this is vast. You know, these are a lot of uh, things we've learned over many, many decades of working, not many, but about almost three decades (laughs) of working in, in localization and globalization, having worked at the headquarters, having worked at the fields, on the field offices where nobody's listening to you, you know. And so it's very important that the communication even if you're alone in an office you're a, a team of three or four very important that you're visible and you reach out and you align to major goals of the geography or the headquarters
0: i think it's a good thing absolutely
1: awesome well thank you well, so much for coming on the show
0: that was another episode of the international bus podcast this time with edna schlegel thanks very so much for joining us Absolutely. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye -bye.
1: Thanks.